Greetings, Hokie fans. Welcome to the latest edition of Terradome Talk. I'm Jonathan Hagee here with Josh Hollifield on another cold, windy uh, day here in the New River Valley. Josh, how's it going? Well, if you like snow, it's going pretty well. But other than that, it's not the greatest being stuck inside a lot. But at least it's given us the opportunity to check out a lot of college basketball and be able to see both of the Hokies basketball programs doing really well over the last week. Yeah, uh, this has been a really good week. Uh, the past week was for Virginia Tech basketball, Kenny Brooks and the women got uh, a huge win over number two NC State, really a win that they should have had in the previous game uh, uh, against NC State with a big lead there. And then, obviously, Virginia Tech's uh, men take down our beloved rivals, the Cavaliers there in the castle with a huge second-half surge. Uh, before we get to basketball and kind of break that down, uh, on the football side, we uh, kind of talk about a few things that have happened in the past week. Uh, we spoke on the last podcast about Daryl Tapp heading to uh, the San Francisco 49ers to be the assistant D-line coach. Uh, I know this will make a lot of uh, Virginia Tech fans happy. It looks like Justin Fuente has decided to hire J.C. Price, who was uh, formerly on the Marshall staff there, um, a former Hokie, former All-American, a really great player under Frank Beamer. He's going to be assistant D-line coach and defensive recruiting coordinator, a title that Justin Fuente has added. Uh, what are your take – or what's your take on J.C. Price coming into the program and how do you think that will help I think that uh, Fuente went for the, pretty much a similar type of personality. They're both high energy. They're both guys that really like to get in there with the guys and work with them. So I think you're looking at a very similar type of feel to what it is. I think Daryl had a lot of success, especially on the recruiting trail. We're hoping that J.C. gets the same kind of uh, comeback as well. Yeah, and J.C. is a guy that's really beloved by former Hokies. I think he'll keep that former player engagement momentum going that uh, Justin Fuente with Babcock and the program are really hoping to gain by uh, bringing Daryl Tapp in. And then on the offensive side uh, – we, we talked about J.C. Price being the defensive recruiting coordinator. Justin Fuente did add the title of offensive recruiting coordinator to running backs coach Adam Lechtenberg uh, as well. So that's kind of neat to see us add those two, two titles there. I think those guys are going to be hev more heavily involved on both sides of the ball in recruiting. And then Ryan Smith on the defensive side also added the uh, title of passing game coordinator. Uh, now, on to the men's side, or actually, before we get to that, excuse me, I jumped the gun here. Uh, Virginia Tech National Signing Day today did pick up a preferred walk-on commit from a guy that was on the fringe of being a scholarship uh, a scholarship offer, and that's Cameron Olds from Midlothian High School here in Virginia, 6'3", 225 pounds, three-star recruit. Uh, you know, anytime you can get a three-star recruit that you think can play at this level as a preferred walk-on, that's a big win. Yeah, you got to think that the guy has an option at least a thought of an opportunity of getting the scholarship next season. I think he's in a situation where maybe he's going to come on and be able to prove himself. And I think that's really great for the Hokies to be able to pick up somebody like that, especially somebody that you weren't expecting was off the radar. Right. And, you know, at 6'3", 225 coming in as a uh, as a freshman at 225, you would like to think that that frame would support probably another 15 to 25 pounds. Uh, you know, a defenseman at 6'3", 250, I, it wouldn't surprise me to see Olds uh, earn a scholarship before he leaves Blacksburg for sure. Yeah, I think I think that's got to be the plan, especially if someone that would that have a ranking coming in. Really, and there's not uh, you know a whole lot more going going on here on uh, National Signing Day for Virginia Tech football. Most of our commits uh, uh, signed early on in the uh, early signing period, so more transfer portal portal news is what we'll be looking for going forward on the football side. All right, now getting to basketball. Uh, Virginia Tech, like we mentioned, the men 
get a huge 65-51 win in Castle over UVA, coming off another, uh, I'll call it big road win against a somewhat surging Notre Dame team. Uh, who did rebound after their loss to us and, and blow out a pit team that we're going to get to here in a minute. Josh, what did you see in this game for Virginia Tech uh, specifically that you think g- gave them an advantage and allowed us to come away with the win? I think definitely the thing that kept with us is just the, keeping that level of intensity up throughout the entire game. I think in the first half we saw some of the same challenges we've seen in the last few games with UVA. Uh, we had the opportunities in the first half to get some points on the board. But it seemed like we were struggling, especially from outside the three-point line. But it seemed like Kevin Luma was the only guy that was really going in the first half. And it seemed him sticking with it, him being able to raise the intensity in the second half even a little bit more, really allowed the entire team, along with Hunter Couture, who really broke out in the second half, to really take over in the second half. Yeah, I mean, you look at the stat line for uh, Kive Aluma, 29 points, 10 rebounds, four assists, uh, had, had the one big block later on in the game. Uh, you know, made 10 field goals, two threes, seven of eight from the free throw line, was just a man from start to finish. And when we had trouble hitting our outside shots, you know, kind of like what we had with Kerry Blackshear, we had a guy that we could feed in the post and, and give the ball to him and say, here, go, go to work and get us a bucket. And fortunately, Keve did that more than not in the game. Yeah, I think there was a lot of things that I was really impressed with that, as far as the preparation that Mike Young made for the game. You saw some opportunities even in the first half where we were running a lot of double screens and things that we had not done previously against UVA. We kind of settled a lot more for threes in the past, but it seemed like Mike Young had the intention from the very beginning to try to get the ball inside, and definitely Kiwi Aluma was definitely the beneficiary of that plan. Yeah, and then you you talked about Hunter Couture. Uh, You know, that's something you and I have been talking about for the past few weeks, the way that he's stepped up, and it seems like more and more since Cartier Jara opted out that Hunter has just stepped up game after game, played 31 minutes, uh, you know, was the backup point guard, 15 points, three of five from three, really hit the three that was the dagger in the game to put us up, I believe, 12 at the time. Uh, He's just – he's doing all the little things right that you need uh, from a guy like that taking charges, uh, smart with the basketball, not turning it over, hitting big shots, getting to the free throw line. Uh, I, I would dare say Hunter is probably the most improved player on this roster. Without a doubt, I think that you're definitely seeing Hunter Couture being that emphasis point that we've got coming off the bench. I mean, if you look at the numbers for the night, you only have nine minutes coming from anybody else except for Hunter Couture off the bench. And Hunter, of course, had 15 points while the rest of the bench had one. Um, I definitely think that it's a role that he seems to be thriving in. I think it's one that Jalen Cohn – had kind of had at the beginning of the year that he was a scoring punch coming off the bench and he could be a one or a two depending on what he needed as far as entering the game. But I think it's definitely a role that Mike Mike Young is getting the most out of Victoria at at the moment. Yeah, and some adjustments that I thought Mike Young made uh, at halftime were phenomenal. Uh, you texted me on offense about the double screen. Uh, I, th- I thought that allowed our shooters to get open on offense. And then I thought that Mike Young did a really good job of adjusting the defense to guard that perimeter where Hauser and Huff, uh, who were hitting some shots in the first half, granted three of the threes that UVA hit in the first half were fading away, desperation heaves as the shot clock is winding down. But nonetheless, I thought he extended the defense out on the perimeter and dared them to find somebody inside to score. Yeah, I think that definitely the team, you know, UVA struggled in the second half with what they could be able to do offensively. And, I mean, of course, that shows with an eight-minute dry spell. But the thing about it is, is that what really surprised me about UVA is the lack of depth that they have right now going on their roster. If you look at what the bench was able to provide, you only got six points from the bench. And I think that's something that UVA will have to work on going forward, regardless of who their opponent is. Yeah, and for me, uh, the spark in this game 
that I thought provided the spark to Virginia Tech in the second half, <clears throat> a much-needed spark, was a guy that sometimes the fan base is very critical of, especially offensively, and that's with Bisa Beatty. Uh, you know, he went on a 7-0 run personally, finished the game with seven points, five assists, four rebounds, played tremendous defense on Kihei Clark, and really shut him down in the second half. And I, I thought that really the turnaround in the game and the momentum kind of came as Beatty got more involved. Yeah, I think that people don't give B enough credit for being what he is. And the thing about this, he's still probably the best defender, I think, in the ACC. And a guy like Key Clark could take over a game really easily, and he wasn't able to do so. And it was one of those things that in the first half, you could see really the weapons of UVA, Hauser and Huff, really taking over the game. But once you took out Key Clark in the second half of what B.D. was able to do, it really put more focus on those two guys, and they weren't able to be able to carry the weight on their own. Yeah, I mean, I, this is a huge win for Virginia Tech and Mike Young and that group. I mean, there's no way to spin it. Uh, it's their third or our fourth win over an AP top rank or a AP ranked team. Uh, the only other program in the country that's four zero against the AP top twenty five is Gonzaga, and we know they're number one. Uh, this really, I think, set us up. Uh, I mean, at this point, if we don't make the NCAA tournament, it's a catastrophic failure uh, and, and collapse. Uh, I think there's no doubt about that anymore. We are an NCAA tournament team. Before we get into the next game and, and look at Pitt, uh, what do you think this win means for Mike Young and his program? And do you think it sets us up, especially with FSU dropping the game to Georgia Tech, us handing UVA their first loss? Is Virginia Tech in a prime position to compete for the ACC regular season title? I think for Mike Young in the program, I'll start with that part. I think it's a definitely a big win because the fact is, is that you always want to be able to beat your in-state rival. And on top of that, UVA is predominantly and will always be a basketball program as long as Tony Bennett's there. So the thing about it is it was a game that was, you know, something where we – it was a stumbling block that we had the first, you know, season with Mike Young. It seemed like the first time we played Virginia at UVA, they really had it everything covered as far as UVA or what we could do offensively. The second game, we had more success at home, but the thing about it is you expect to do that. But beating them, especially in the way we did, will definitely be a momentum factor for the program. As far as winning the ACC title, I still think it's a long season. I know that everybody gets really excited when you get a big win like this, but the ACC is a challenging conference, and the depth that we have is going to be a problem as we get further along in the season. Those legs are going to get a little bit more weary, and I do think, you know, it definitely benefits us not having FSU coming right after UVA. But I think that there's still going to be some games in the middle of this run, especially a Louisville, a UNC. They're going to be very challenging for this program. Yeah, and we're actually going to end the podcast today talking about that a little bit. But before we do that, we're going to look at Virginia Tech's next game, next opponent, and that's uh, the Pittsburgh Panthers. Uh, you, they're led in scoring by Justin Champagne, uh, 20.1 points per game. He's a really good player in this league. Uh, he, he can fill it up and score at almost any time that he uh, that he gets hot. And then he's also leading the team in rebounds at 12.1 per game. And then they're led in assists by Xavier Johnson at 6.1, uh, who, who, who's a pretty good guard. He doesn't turn the ball over a lot. Uh, in my opinion, this is a tough pit team, and this is a game that Virginia Tech will have to play well to win. Yeah, I definitely think this is a game that we match it well in, as far as athletically goes with. But it's definitely going to be a game of matchups and how, how we are able to exploit them. I think Champagne is probably going to be guarded by Mutz during this game. I don't think you're going to see a whole lot of Aluma on him because of the fact that Aluma doesn't want to tire himself out chasing Champagne around the court. Uh, I think that whoever wins that matchup, though, as far as effectiveness during the game, is probably going to be a really good signal of who's going to win the game. I think Virginia Tech has all points to go forward, being that you know right now they're riding a train of momentum and they seem to have figured out what to do post Tyrese Rafford at the moment. And I think that we've got the opportunity to get a big win in the ACC. But, of course, Anything could happen. 
No, absolutely. This is a game that I've had circled on uh, on the schedule for a while because this is a pit team that Coach Capel really has going in the right direction, and their record may not be exactly where they want it. You know, they're eight and five overall, four and four in the league. Uh, but they are competitive uh, night in and night out. And then you look at the guard spot with Adi East Tony, uh, you know, averaging 14.7 points uh, per game, uh, also gets six rebounds. He's a really big guard at 6'6", 210. Who do you see as the matchup there to guard him? Personally, I think Beatty's the best option to guard him. But, you know, at 6'1", Beatty's giving up five inches to Tony there. I'll probably see Aline getting more of that. I think Aline is more of your stretch defender that you can use in that kind of tweener spot. I think that, you know, you don't – again, BD is a great defender on ball, and I think that you're going to probably see him working more to try to get the ball out of the hands of Xavier Johnson early. And I think if he can do that, I think that's kind of the defensive role that BD is going to be best at for this one. Yeah, I mean, and then Johnson, uh, you know, he's filling it up too at 13.2 points per game. Uh, He's shooting 38% from the field. So he's very much a capable scorer as well. So that backcourt is really something that Mike Young is going to have to keep in check in addition to the fact that Champagne, you know, is a dominant force on the inside. Yeah, Pitt, one pit strength is their death. If you look at the numbers, you've got about nine guys that are playing 10 minutes or more. So that's going to be something that's going to be a challenge for Virginia Tech because we really didn't see that in the UVA game as UVA is pretty much in the same position we are right now, playing seven to eight guys every game. But Pitt's going to be a team that's going to be able to third nine or ten different fresh bodies against us. Especially being on the road, that could be a challenge. Yeah, I mean, uh, Pitt's a very long team. Uh, you have uh, Kulabali in the middle there at six eight. Champagne is six six, playing forward, which is the same uh, height as Tony at guard, and then Xavier Johnson six three. So this is not really they're they're not FSU big and long at every spot, but they're kind of like a poor man's FSU and built in that mold. Yeah, Pittsburgh is a team that you know Jeff Capel's really assembled well. I think that you've got to give him a lot of credit for the development of his team over the past two years. I mean, if you look back two years ago, Pitt was basically the solid dweller of the ACC after coming over from the Big East and being a predominantly strong program there. Yeah, uh, and, and a very deep team, like you said, nine guys averaging right at 13 minutes per game and then another guy, uh, another player there at nine minutes per game. So, you know, very a very deep team that is capable, and Virginia Tech will have to play well, especially on the road to win this game. Uh, it's it's a to me, it's a pivotal ACC game that's going to define whether or not we're just a solid – we end tournament team or we're a real contender yeah, to win the ACC? These next two games are games that Virginia Tech has got to win, and it really defines the difference between this year's team and last year's team. Last year's team could come up with big wins in a, in a pitch where they, you know, they might be playing at UVA or Florida State and they could really produce for one game. But being able to continuously stay consistent and beat these second-tier ACC teams in a Pittsburgh or a Miami is just showing whether or not you're at the top of the ACC or whether you're still somewhere stuck in the middle. And looking ahead to that next game that you just mentioned after Pitt, uh, Virginia Tech plays Miami uh, on the road in Coral Gables. Uh, Miami obviously has struggled this year. If you if you want to find anything out about them, you have to look at the bottom of the ACC standings: three and nine in the league, seven and ten overall. But a team that gave Virginia Tech trouble in the Castle. Uh, Virginia Tech won eighty to seventy eight, but think a lot of that was due in large part to uh, Cross having sixteen points on four of six uh, shooting from three and six of eight. From the field, he has now been dismissed or parted ways, I believe is the way that uh, Jim Laranega phrased it, from the Miami program. Uh, This is a game that, for all intents and purposes, Virginia Tech should win and and take care of business. Uh, What are some keys here in this matchup against Miami? I definitely think the first thing that's going to have to happen is going to have to be a quick start to the game. I think the last time Virginia Tech was in Miami or in Coral Gables, I think it was we were down about 20 by about five minutes into the game. It was 
one of those games where we had a lot of jet lag and then we had to fight our way back. But I think if Virginia Tech gets off to a quick start, I mean, you look at Aluma and Mutz both had, you know, 15 points plus against Miami the first time. If they can have the same type of production this one and we can get off to a quick start, I think that we can really put Miami in a position that they're going to have a hard time coming back from. I don't think you could ever overlook a team, though, like a Miami because the fact is in the ACC, anything can happen. You're looking at a team that just came off a big victory over Duke, who was surging, it seemed like, and now has kind of relegated itself back to the middle. But we'll have to see. Yeah, I mean, this is a team, uh, Miami, that that's actually very talented. Uh, you know, we, we make light of the fact that they're uh, that they're at, at the bottom of the ACC standings, but Virginia Tech fans remember Isaiah Wong very well from the, the loss to Miami last year in the Castle. And it is worth noting that when we played Miami uh, in Blacksburg earlier in the year, they were without Cameron McGusty and I believe Chris – yeah, they were without Chris Likes as well. I mean, that's two of their three best players, uh, definitely guys that can score – uh, since they're back, Likes is averaging 15.5 per game and Augusti at 11.6 to go with Wong. And then you also take a guy like Nasir Brooks, uh, who has some size there in the middle. And this is a very dangerous Miami team that can beat anybody on a given night. I, I would liken them to kind of what we were last year. Well, the thing about this is Miami is kind of on the opposite side of what Virginia Tech is. Miami is predicted early on in the season to be fifth or sixth in the ACC. It really has never performed up to that level that they were supposed to. And of course, Virginia Tech has been the opposite. They were picked to be towards the bottom of the ACC and are well overperformed. So it's a game that Miami would definitely probably like to have as a program that's you know still trying to salvage something out of this season. But it's also a game Virginia Tech has to be able to finish. Yeah, uh, you know, looking ahead to what the standings are at the moment, and looking ahead to uh, kind of where we think they'll be, and you look at Virginia Tech's schedule. Uh, where do you see this team finishing in the league? Well, I mean, I've, I've got to say, at the beginning of the season, I, I said we were going to be sixth or seventh, and I'm not going to come too far off of that. I know that's probably not going to make a lot of people happy, but I think there's still a lot of games in the schedule that are going to be a challenge for us. I think it definitely helped not having the doubleheader against Florida State. That's a game that, you know, we don't match up very well with what Florida State has size-wise. So I'm going to say that we're probably going to end up fourth. I think that's about where I have us ending up the season at this point, just based on the fact that getting the UVA win and not having to play UVA and Florida State is a makeup game. Yeah, uh, one of the FSU games ha- has been canceled due to FSU having to pause uh, for two weeks due to COVID. I believe it's their next three games, which, uh, you know, certainly you don't want to dodge anybody because we, we still have to play them once, but it does help with the schedule there that we don't have to play them twice there in that four-game stretch. I mean, you're talking about a, sched- a stretch here where we've played UVA, then we go on to the road uh, or go on the road against Pitt, on the road against Miami, uh, the FSU game at the Castle was canceled. Then we have Louisville at home, at North Carolina, at Florida State. And then you're bringing Georgia Tech into the Castle with a worn-down Hokies team. That is an absolute murderer's row of an ACC schedule right now. Yeah, I mean, I think anybody would probably be happy with a 2-2 two and two finish on those four games, especially with the fact that we got Wake and NC State to wrap up the season, which should be two wins. But I think if we were to end up with four ACC losses, we're probably looking at – we're probably trailing UVA – we're probably going to be trailing FSU. And then as far as anybody else goes, I mean, UNC or whatever could also finish up strong. But I think third or fourth is not a bad place to be for Virginia Tech. I mean, I'd love to see them win the ACC this year, but I think that at the same time, we'd be really excited about the direction of the program regardless of where we finish up. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you spoke about it for a team that was projected uh, 11th in the preseason by the media to be sitting here at second, a half game behind UVA uh, is incredible. Uh, that, 
looking at that schedule, that's why this pick game and this Miami game coming up are so pivotal to get to nine and two in the league and then say that you do beat Louisville at home, you lose on the road at North Carolina, you lose at, uh, at FSU, and then you come back and win in the castle against Georgia Tech. I mean, I think I don't think anybody can be upset with that, at, like you said, at 11 and four, or, or that might make us 12 and three, but. Uh, regardless, 11 or 12 wins, then you have a chance with Wake at home, and then I believe at NC State, yes, at NC State to finish the season strong in the ACC. Yeah, I think 11 wins in the ACC would probably be enough to get in, and that's not even counting the last two. So the thing about this is that needs to be the direction that we're going in right now. I mean, ACC championships are great, but our first step should be getting back to the NCAA tournament this year and being able to set up ourselves up for maybe getting a first or second round win as well. Right. Uh, let's just, for hypothetical reasons, say that we, we do finish – that way, uh, we'll just call it losses at North Carolina and a loss at home against FSU. Um, if we finish 13-5 and five in the ACC, what what seed line do you see us on? Uh, how, do, how do you think that would set us up in the NCAA tournament? Well, unfortunately, right now we're sitting at a six seed, but I think that that record there would probably be more deserving of a six or a seven. I think that's probably a good place for us to be at. That would match us up with either uh, the 11 or a 10 in the first round. And I think those are both winnable games that we should be able to do. And then a three seed or a four seed in the second round matchup would be great as far as far as program goes. Yeah, I mean, I think right now uh, you're referring to the bracketology. Joe Lenardi having us as a six seed still has UVA as a three, which is a little bit baffling to me. Not because they're UVA. I just think if you compare the two resumes right now, Virginia Tech's resume is better than UVA's, and they have the head-to-head. Uh, I mean, Lenardi has Villanova as a one seed and UVA as a three. Well, last time I checked, Virginia Tech was 2-0 and against those teams and had a better record than UVA. Uh, overall had more wins, and they won the head-to-head. So the fact that there is a three-line discrepancy between those two programs blows my mind. Yeah, the BPI is really not favoring us this year. I mean, I don't really quite understand what it is. I don't – I mean, I look back at our schedule look at the teams we've beaten. I realize Duke never really produced what they were going to be, and they're one of our big wins. Uh, Clemson's really faded off as we've gone into the meeting of the season. But Villanova's still sitting up there near the top, and UVA game is a big win. But I guess if you take those away, I mean, I know the Penn State game, the loss at home, was definitely a defining one for the year. And I know that Cuse on the road was a game that we probably would like to have back. But I guess if I look at the beat of the schedule, it's not as strong as I think it could be. But at the same time, it's much stronger than what I see out of the UVA program. So I I don't quite understand what the, the logic is and what the numbers are facing. But, you know, I think we'll be just fine in the end. Sure, and, and we're up to 16th in the, the new polls. But really, for the NCAA tournament, they look at net ranking. Uh, Virginia Tech currently sits 29th in the net ranking, which which is not a bad spot to be in. Certainly opportunities to move up. And, hey, Virginia Tech, I mean, I know in the ACC this is not likely for anybody. You can you can get beat on any given night. I mean, they very well may run the, the table the rest of the way. If we run the table the rest of the way, do you think Virginia Tech is ACC regular season champion? I couldn't imagine we wouldn't be. I, I don't see how UVA gets through the rest of the season without taking another loss in the ACC. I realize that, you know, the UVA faithful believe they're in with every game, but they also, while being in every game, they also have the opportunity to lose every game because the thing about it is, if they get cold in the second half, just like they did against us, they can lose any game they're in. And it's one of those things that I know Tony Bennett's system is an amazing, incredible thing, but at the same time, it's, it's amazing to look at a game like the one we just played with them in the first half, they couldn't miss the side of the ocean if they were throwing up a rock. But in the second half, it seemed like they couldn't find anything, and they didn't take advantage of when they were hot, but instead faced the penalties when they were cold. Yeah, uh, 
Absolutely. I, I've always said that, you know, Tony Bennett for, for how great he is and, and what he does really works. And he, he's he's perfected that. And, and I, I, one of our close friends the other day said it's really hard to dislike Tony Bennett. I don't dislike Tony Bennett. I just dislike who he has to coach. But I, I, I would also argue that his system makes them more conducive to to, to losing, to being upset on any given night that they're not shooting well and another team is. Yeah, their title run seemed like they were a little more offensively minded and they were pushing the ball a little bit more. They could get into games where they could actually get out 15, 20 points ahead of teams and finish them off early. But this year it seems like they're really struggling to get past that 10-point window, which is kind of what Tony Bennett's looking to get to where he can basically shut the door on anybody as far as pacing goes. Yeah, uh, I, I would make the argument, you know, looking at the standings, I've seen all the teams in the ACC play. Uh, a couple weeks ago, I would have told you that the answer is FSU. But looking at it from the games I've watched, I would argue that Virginia Tech has played the most consistently uh, of all the teams. I think UVA, you've seen really high highs and really low lows. I think FSU, kind of the same thing. And I think with the exception of the Syracuse game uh, in the ACC, the Virginia Tech has played around, about at the same level every game. Yeah, this is definitely a difference from last year. Last year you saw that we were kind of, like I said, ebbed and flowed games based on who was having a great performance. But this year we've had a lot more consistency. I think Aluma has a lot to do with that. I think the fact is that he's been a very consistent performer where we didn't really have one last year, whether it was Rafford or Cone or whoever else we were leaning on. We didn't really have that consistent performer last year. We looked to Nolly to do it, but he never really was able to. But Aluma's been very consistent, and I think that's helped us be consistent as a team. Right. And take a look at the roster here for a minute. Uh, you know, you talked about you thought we factored in that 6-7 range preseason. We haven't even talked about the fact that you you were expecting Cartier Jara on that team. Uh, we thought Pimsel would be healthy. We thought Bama Silomatics would give us something being as highly rated as they were. Uh, we thought Tyrese Radford, which for a large chunk of the season has been a factor and has played. We haven't even talked about this, you know, the suspension of Tyrese Radford due, due to the DUI. Uh, he just pleaded uh, guilty today, so hopefully that gets the ball rolling in, in a, a, you know, a path to his return. But Mike Young is doing all this without all the guys we just named. Pimsel hasn't played in a couple weeks due to injury. Tyrese Radford hasn't played in the last two games. Jara opted out. Bama Cinematics really haven't contributed a whole lot early on uh, for whatever reason. Uh, I, I don't really think it can be overstated just what a great job Mike Young has done with this team. Yeah, absolutely. I think he does a really well, good job of rounding players out into a position where they could play more than one spot, and that seems to really benefit us in case we've got someone who's either got nice cold, injured, whatever else has happened this year. The one problem that I do foresee, though, as far as completing the season is if we can't reestablish some of that depth, like I said, the legs are really going to fall off especially when we get closer to March. And that's something that you really concern yourself with for a tournament team. Right. One guy that I would like to see factor in more, uh, John Ogiaco has returned from his injury. Uh, you almost forget about it at times. He played, uh, you know, large minutes relative to being a freshman last year. This year, I believe he played two to three minutes against UVA. We were, I'd really like to see him get in that nine to ten minute range and be able to spell Aluma a lot like Pimsel did. I don't think that uh, people really expected a ton out of Pimsel early on when he came in, but as he played more, his his minutes increased, and he was very valuable on defense and rebounding especially. Yeah, I definitely think Pimsel and Mutz were the big surprises at the beginning of the season. I think, you know, Aluma had some pedigree to him as far as we knew that what he could do as a scorer and things like that. But Mutz has been such a versatile player, especially defensively for us this year, that's really surprising to me to look back at his career at Delaware and think about the fact of what he's been able to produce in the ACC schedule. 
yeah, I think I think this is his third school. He started out High Point, then Delaware, and now at Virginia Tech. And I kind of look at him like I like I said earlier in that Chris Clark role, kind of the Swiss Army knife, where he can score when he needs to. He passes well. He plays tremendous defense. He hustles. He wins 50-50 balls that you have to uh, that that you have to win to beat teams like UVA, FSU, uh, bigger games. Uh, I really like this roster. Uh, we talked about Bama Cinematics. Do you foresee any way that those guys still have a chance to contribute? something significant to this team down down at the end towards the end of the season i really don't and it's not the fact that either one of them is not capable of doing it i just think the fact is, is that what coach young is excited about this year is what he's got as far as cohesiveness among the group he has right now i don't see either one of those guys playing into that right now those are guys that probably are developing more in practices than they are in the game right now so i don't really see especially with Rafa coming back i don't see either foresee either one of them having to play a major role I'd really, more than that, like to see a lean kind of develop his role a little bit more as we go into the later part of the season rather than trying to lean on one of those young guys. Yeah, I mean, you look at David Gasson. That's a guy that I truly believe had the NCAA not changed their uh, the eligibility rule due to COVID this year, that he's a guy that would have redshirted and would not have seen any minutes at all uh, just because they, they felt like the upside was much greater holding on to him with that extra year of eligibility. But now that he can play and it doesn't count towards his eligibility – I think he's kind of been a diamond in the rough there that Mike Young has found. Uh, Gasson does a lot of good things when he comes in. Yeah, without a doubt. Gasson's been a big surprise. And also, the thing about it, Hunter Couture's been a huge surprise. I mean, it's, I'm one of the things I I'm, I feel like I you know have a, a, a good knowledge of basketball. And I really am shocked at what level he's at this year. Um, I looked at him last year as a tweener type of guy that was really you know getting minutes based on a program that was really lacking in depth. But the thing about it is he had really established himself as a – strong bench point guard and i think it's one of those things that even depending on what decision bd makes for next year i think under control could fill that role either way right and, and you know some of the games this year that we've won jalen cone has been the catalyst offensively uh, i think you look at the uva game and here recently uh cone scored six against uva he's not carrying us shooting the ball like some would have expected especially once tyrese went out uh, if we can get Jalen Cohn going on the same night as like Aluma and Couture and some of those guys, we're a, we're a really scary matchup for anybody in the country. I think that's going to be the change that's going to happen most of the draft for coming back. I think you're going to see Cohn coming back to the bench, and you're going to see Couture and Cohn coming onto the floor at the same time as they're spelling, beating Raph. And I think that's going to make a huge difference as far as the death goes in the second half of the ACC schedule. And I'm trying to think, and of course we're not familiar with every roster in the country, but I know most of them. And, you know, I, I wouldn't have said this when the season started, but there's not many teams in the country that are going to bring two guys off the bench at the same time that can really fill it up night in and night out like Conan Couture together. No, I don't think so either. I think that's one of the things that really people talk about, you know, where does this tech team come from? It comes from the experience of the minutes these guys got last year and the fact that they're not afraid of ACC opponents. I think that the ACC, like I said, is probably a half a step to a full step down from what was last year. And I think these guys are looking at it as an opportunity to truly prove themselves against opponents that are not at a level where we can't reach. Yeah, uh, you know, we're talking about all this, and it just kind of hit me like how good it feels to be talking about all this and have that sense of normalcy uh, as opposed to what we've kind of had all year with sports and not knowing the games are going to be played. And, of course, we still have that. We're not, you know, obviously out of the woods on this pandemic yet. But the college football, college basketball, the seasons have provided – uh, it, at least to me, some sense of normalcy where for that little bit in time, I think we kind of all forget what's going on in the world and, and, and everything just seems right. 
Yeah, I mean, a quarter of field is always something that's going to be able to take our attention away from everything going on around us. But I do think that it's still a year where we're going to see something pop up, whether it's in the ACC tournament or NCCA tournament, that we've never been expecting before. You could have a one seed that could all of a sudden be found positive and not be able to compete, or you could have a team in the ACC tournament that could make a run based on the fact that they're getting guys back that they haven't had for a long time. So I think it's one of those things that it's going to definitely change the shape of the way these things are finishing out. Yeah, uh, I'm really excited to see how all this plays out. Uh, I've had a ton of fun watching this team to this point and expect to for the rest of the year. Uh, we hope everybody's safe. We appreciate everybody listening. Uh, you know, we'll obviously be back providing some some Virginia Tech sports content here in the near future. I'm Jonathan Hagee. I'm Joshua Hoffman. We're signing off from the terrace.